Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. I'm excited today about Marriage Moments Part 2. We're going to be talking about marriage in just one moment. And uh, yesterday, I drove 15 hours with three kids and a dog to get here and teach today. So I want us to pray. I want you to stretch your hands towards me. Uh, I'll say this. I also got them up and got them all dressed by myself. Hey, now, y'all, y'all, somebody ought to, ought to give me a hand clap. So I got to say, I'm proud. Their hair even looks good. Although, really, my oldest daughter does all their hair, so I can't take any credit for that. But uh, yesterday in the car, my kids listened. I'm thankful for the Internet in my car now. My kids watched about 15 hours of Duck Dynasty yesterday. And you older parents, you actually parented your children. We have devices for that. It's handy, isn't it, young parents? Hey, let's do this. Let's pray that God would help us. I really think this part of the year, when we talk about marriage and family, is one of the most important times we have as a church. I know this, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he hates your marriage and your family. But God wants to strengthen your marriage, and he wants to strengthen your family. And I believe that the word of the Lord is going to come and help us together. It's going to help you. It's going to help me. It's going to help us all. Come on, let's ask the helper to invade this place. If you're comfortable with it, you might want to lift a hand to heaven, and let's pray. Father, I thank you now for the help of the Holy Spirit. Right now, we declare that our ears are open unto your word. We say you're speaking to us. Lord, now I pray you quicken my tongue. Lord, make it the pen of a ready writer. Help me to say your words and your words only, Father. I think that everything said brings grace, edifies, and lifts us higher. Lord, help me as a, a pastor. Help me as a father. And help me as a husband now. Help me teach your people to do the same in all of our roles. In Jesus' mighty name, and the church said, amen. So we're talking about marriage moments and really the idea is that all of our marriages and all of our lives really aren't made up of months or years or decades. Really it's a string of moments is all that we have. So I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that God's gift unto us is the gift of time. Somebody say amen to that. He gives us time. And so I believe this. I believe that uh, you lose your money, you can get more money. You lose your time, you're not getting time back. Uh, you, you lose stuff. You can get more stuff. But if you lose your time, you don't get your time back. So I want to maximize every moment that God's given us. Jesse and I now, we've been married coming up this year. Uh, just coming up this May, it will be 19 years that we've been married together. I know it's hard to believe because I look like I'm in my early 20s, but I've been married 19 years, right? And, uh, and I'll say this. We've had some, uh, some fantastic moments. We've had some fabulous moments in marriage. I've seen incredible things. We have three beautiful children. We've been privileged to get to pastor and to pioneer this church. Uh, we, we've had mountaintop experiences. We've also had some terrible moments. And any of you that have been married for more than five minutes, how many of y'all would agree with me that marriage is full of some wonderful moments? Somebody say amen to that. But it's also full of some terrible moments. Somebody say amen to that. And uh, anybody that wants to tell you that marriage is all great, 
They, and they never fight, and they never have any trouble. They never have any problems. I've been to all the conferences. I've read all the books. And I hear some people that act like their marriage is just a walk in the park every day, and there's little birds chirping, and there's rainbows overhead, and little puppies are coming up and, you know, uh, snuggling their feet at every moment of their marriage. Just look at your neighbor and tell them they're a liar. Just tell them that, huh? They're liars. Because I know in marriage, when you read the Bible, we don't get to chapter 3 until the marriage, first marriage, destroys the whole world that we're living in. Come on. Right? It takes us three chapters. Doesn't happen in Ezekiel. Doesn't happen in Revelation. It happens in Genesis chapter 3. So we want to maximize the moments. This is what this series is about. Learning to get the best out of every moment. To have the better moments instead of the bad moments. How many of y'all want more good moments than bad moments in your marriage? Somebody give God a hand clap if you agree with that. We want more good moments. So we have to feed them. I want you to open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 3, all right? And we're going to look at the first marriage. Marriage is such a big deal, you don't read much about God or the Bible or man. It goes immediately into the marriage story. And uh, every year, whenever I get ready to teach on this, I know that the devil is going to tempt, try, and test somebody. Stuff's going to happen to me and Jesse in our marriage, right? We get ready to teach this. I just get ready. I get loaded for bear. And the other day, I was helping uh, my oldest child with some junior high mathematics. And for the life of me, I don't remember junior high math being as difficult as it is now. And it's just gotten way more difficult. But, but I was doing junior high math with her. And uh, I walk out of the room, and I walk back, and I could tell she's doing a good job right now, but she kind of she just threw an answer up on a problem and guessed at a problem. And now, you can guess on an essay test and kind of, how many of y'all have ever written an essay answer that you were just taking the question, rewriting it, and trying to, trying to just kind of, you know, smoke your way through an essay? Let me see all you people out there. Yeah, y'all are my people right now. Those are my people, right? Um, so you can guess in a humanities course, but you're not going to be able to guess in mathematics, right? Because the numbers are the numbers are the numbers. And if you don't think that's the way it is, just wait till the end of the month with your bank account, and the banker's not going to let you guess on your balance. He wants he want you to know what's in there, right? So you don't overdraw your account. So I'm looking at, at Bradley, and I'm like, listen, I can tell you guessed on this answer. And I said, guessing in math will do nothing for you in life. How many of y'all think that's some solid parenting advice, right? Guessing in math will do nothing for you in life. And so I walk back into the bathroom, and Jessie's getting ready. I open the door. She looks up at me, and she said, did you just say that Jessie has done nothing for me in life? Is that what I heard you say? And I said, I said, I said no, no. She looked at me, and she said, are you just wanting to fight this morning, or what's up, you know? And I'm like, no, I said, I said, guessing, not Jesse. And uh, how many of y'all have ever been there? Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So, so come on, let's maximize the moment and communicate. But, but we look here, and uh, one of the first big communication breakdowns, it happens in Genesis chapter 3. We got Adam, we got Eve. If you have your Bible on you, I want you to go ahead and open it up. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, I want you to stay with me. Because we're going to read uh, quite a bit of scripture. We're going to read, oh, oh uh, maybe 20 verses here, all right? So Genesis chapter 3, and this will be out of the New King James Version. Uh, Genesis is pretty easy to find. You open up the front of the Bible, you go three pages over, all right? Genesis chapter 3. And here's what it says. It says this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said... 
You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. How many of y'all know one of the devil's primary strategies is to try to twist and put a question mark about the word of God? Come on, somebody say amen to that. It's what the devil tries to do in your marriage. It's what the devil tries to do in our culture. It's what the devil's trying to do with our children right now. All over America, has the Lord really said that? That's the strategy of the devil. So you better know that there's an enemy that wants to twist God's word. And you better know there's an enemy. One of the worst things we can do as a people is ignore the enemy that's out there. There's a devil. The serpent slithers into the garden. And uh, verse 2, it says this. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows in the days you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to them, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Everybody say it's the woman's fault, all right? It's the woman's fault. Verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now she's saying it's the devil's fault. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you've heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and till dust you shall return. If we read the first marriage so messed up the earth, that now, women, you have pain or labor in childbirth. Right now, I'm sweating like Whitney Houston in some of the last years, and it is all Adam and Eve's fault, right? If we can get our marriages right, we wouldn't be in this mess that we were in. How many of y'all would like to go back to the garden and make it all right? Somebody give God a hand clap if you think it would be better if it wasn't like this, right? So these guys are in the garden, 
And here comes the devil and he slithers his way into the garden. First thing I want you to see is that the devil comes and tries to break down the communication between God, between the man, and between the woman. Whenever Adam is first given the rules in the garden about what he could eat and he can't eat, Eve is not even created yet. It was given to the man first. And I don't know if God came back and doesn't say it in the text and reinstated the rules in front of Eve or if it was just Adam's job to tell his house and to communicate to his house. Let me say this. Communication is key in marriage and family. Somebody say amen to that. Now, a lot of guys, the way we communicate is typically through grunts and snores and noises like a Sasquatch, right? It's, it's our way and it's our makeup. And so sometimes we have a hard time communicating who we are, our feelings, what we want, what we need, what we desire, on down to our family members. And I don't know about you, but I was from a household. Uh, it's all, all boys in the house. There was dad and then there was mom. And this was the communication pattern I saw growing up. So whenever dad wanted to tell us boys something, he would call mom into the back somewhere, and he would tell mom what he wanted out of one of us. And then mom would come out and tell us what dad wanted. So it was kind of like the system in the Bible where the father speaks and the Holy Spirit brings the word down to you. And then we would communicate back through our mother to our father, right? Then we would tell our mom what we felt, and our mom would take it back and tell it to our dad. So the communication was all messed up. The devil comes in and he goes after the communication. The first thing he says is, has God really said? Is this really the rules? Is this really what's going on? See, some of you are communicating so poorly in your marriage. You're expecting something from your spouse that you've never, ever communicated to them. And you're waking up with this vision of a movie that's going to play out in your life that nobody knows about but you. And then you're tore up and let down because you have a false expectation that you've never communicated. Come on, we got to learn to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves and communicate the truth of the Word of God and what we need in our life and in our marriage. If you think that's preaching, come on, somebody give God a hand clap this morning morning the communication is key so Eve has either just in her sinful nature rebelled against the communication or Adam didn't do a good job sharing it might have been a little of both I don't know we'll find out when we get to heaven won't we so so we'll figure it out then but but here, here's the thing the devil goes after the order in this house too notice uh really it's on Adam to tend and to keep the garden to watch over his house. Adam was placed in charge of the garden. Eve was created to be a help meet to Adam. So when the fall happens, it's not Eve's fault. She was a part of the fall, but the liability and the blame lies on Adam. Men, let me talk to you for a moment. We have been put in charge of our households. And the accounting and the blame and all of the buck, it stops with us. Come on, somebody say amen. And in life, when you're in charge, sometimes people do things under your authority. You didn't do it and you weren't a part of it. But how many of you know you still have to take ownership for what happens under your realm of authority? In church, it's like that all the time. There's a 1,000 people come to this church a lot of times on the weekends, and I love them all in the Lord, but how many know we got some crazy people that come to church with us, and we want to keep it that way? Somebody say amen to that. Right? If we got all perfect people in here, we're not doing our job. 
And so there's stuff that happens in lives and families out there. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, the Bible says this, that I give an account for their soul. That's heavy, isn't it? I don't have a remote control on any of you. You know what I know about people? People do exactly what they want 100% of the time. Can I get an amen out there? Still, at the end of the day, I'm going to give an account for every soul that's been entrusted to me. And I know the same is true in my household, that I've been placed in charge of my house. And whenever the devil slithers into the garden of my home, it's my job to stop it and to cut off its head. And so God gave this. He gave us communication from him that's to flow into our houses. He's also given us an order or a flow of authority. Everybody say order. All right, let's say it again. Somebody say order. All right, say it with me. Say order. All right, so, so here's the order or the flow that God puts into the household. So the Bible says that the head of every man is Christ, and then the man is the head of the home. And then the wife is, is under the man, then the kids. Now, before you start throwing high-heeled shoes at me, ladies, let me explain that, all right? This is, this is the household structure. I'm by no means the kind of guy that says a woman can't achieve or a woman can't be. I'm married to a female preacher who I know preaches better than I do. I know that she's a show horse and I'm a work horse. horse. I'm, I'm four ladies to do well. I've got two daughters. I want them to be the next presidents of the United States of America. I want our girls to climb high and to do well. Come on, somebody give God a hand clap. We are, we are four women. I'm for them being empowered. I'm for them climbing. But out in the workplace and in that part of a, of a world, there's a structure that's different than the home life. And uh, it really is. And people flow different. They have different personalities. But there's this flow or this order in the household. And our God is a God of order. Some people say things like this. They'll say, well, you never know what God will do. A lot of Pentecostal charismatics are famous for saying that. You just never know what God will do. And they make God almost sound like he's bipolar. He gets up every morning and he does something different, right? But God remains the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, I, I'd submit to you that most of the time we know what God is going to do. Right? Every morning we get up, that sun's coming up, isn't it? Every night that sun's going down. About four times a year, really in Kentucky, about eight times a year, the seasons change, right? And uh, we, we know there's seed time, there's harvest. We know if you do certain things to your body, you're going to pay for it at the end, right? We know the laws that God's put in the earth. God's a God of order. He's a God of structure. He's a God that sets things up. And so here's what he does. Somebody has to be in charge in the household. So he puts the man in charge. Now some of the difficulty comes with this is sometimes men uh, have never come out of being the 17-year-old boy in their life. Navy SEALs say this. One of the first things we do in SEAL training is we kill the 17-year-old boy on the inside of every man. And I start talking about order, and some ladies are like, Brian, but you don't know my husband. I'm like, oh, no, I know your husband. Trust me, right? And, and if we can get him grown up, then he can lead at a higher level. But, but God's designed him to lead at a higher level. And so it's like this. I see the husband in the household like the quarterback on the football field. I grew up playing football, started in second, third grade, played till I got out of uh, high school. And uh, if you look at a guy like me on a football field, guys that are built like me never got to carry the football, all right? Boys like me don't play quarterback. We block for those who play quarterback. If you grew up shopping in the Husky section, you never scored a touchdown. And I still live in the Husky section to this day of my life. So 
So there's a quarterback on the field, and it's my job to block for him. I was an offensive guard. And to be honest, back then, I probably knew the offense that we ran at the, the high school I came out of as well as the quarterback. I could read the field about as good as the quarterback could. And so we get ready to run a play. I'm down in my three-point stance. Quarterback's behind the center. He's calling the plays. And he has the opportunity to audible or to change the play. And so I might look up, and I see a linebacker blitzing, and it's my job to call to him and tell him a linebacker's blitzing. I'd scream, blitz, blitz, right here, two-hole, blitz, blitz. If I saw a defensive end's going to crash, I'm saying the end's crashing, I'm screaming things to him like that. If I see a cornerback's come up to run into the backfield, I'm letting him know the cornerback's there. So it's my job to give him the information. Now it's his job to make the calls with the information I've given him. And a good quarterback will listen to everybody's calls. Think how fast they got to move. They got to be listening to everybody calling out what's happening on that field. And if they need to change their decision, they got to make it in a split section, sec, uh, second. They have to make that decision. So it's my job to let him know what's coming. It's his job to make the call. And so once I've let him know what's coming, he can call the wrong play. It's his funeral. It's on him because that end is going to stand him up and that, that linebacker is going to tear his head off. So he wants to make the right call. Men, you want to make the right call. Somebody say amen. Right? It's our funeral if we call the wrong way. So, so I think it's like this. If you're a good leader, guys, you've been called to lead in your household. You listen to everyone's opinion. You validate them. You give them preference. Come on, you love your wife like Christ loves the church. And you only lead or make a call when it really, really, really matters. How many of y'all think a good leader doesn't throw his authority around? He only uses his authority when it really, really, really matters. If y'all believe that, give God a hand clap. That's when you use your authority. I use my authority like that in my household sparingly. I haven't picked where we've eaten lunch in 19 years. I haven't had, I haven't picked, I haven't dressed myself on Sunday morning unless Jesse's out of town in 19 years, right? Because I know there's so many things she's better at than I'm at. You know, women, a lot of times, they have instinct about people and they feel things, God, uh, that, 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 that men, they don't have it. They don't feel as much as women feel. So, like, we'll be at a party somewhere and Jesse will be like, Did you notice that strange guy in the corner? I'm like, What strange guy? She's like, His name was Freddie. And he had this claw on his right hand. You know, I had a weird-looking sweater, kind of scarred face. I'm like, nah, I didn't notice him. She's like, you didn't see Freddy Krueger in the corner at that party? And I'm, I'm oblivious. So I think it's like somebody in the passenger seat, they got a view that you don't have. You're looking left, they're looking right. You better listen to the person in the passenger seat or you can get blindsided. So here's what I believe. I believe that the immature see leadership. They see order. The immature see leadership as a privilege, but the mature see leadership as a responsibility. Let me say it again. The immature see leadership as a privilege, but the mature see leadership as a responsibility. It's really maturity. When you start to see, I get to lead. So listen, here's, here's the kind of calls that I've made in 19 years of marriage. I've made the calls on like, my final say is on where we're going to live. Like, I made the call to come to Owensboro and to plant this church. And now Jesse put a lot into that call. She talked about it. She thought about it. 
But at the end of the day, she'd say, listen, God spoke to Brian to come to Owensboro and to plant a church, but he never told me to come here. And, and like where we live, what house we live in, I've never had an opinion. Now, I care what the house costs, but I can sleep anywhere. And guys that want to fight with their wives about the color of the paint and the walls, I do not understand you at all, right? Just let them do whatever they want and hold on to that call for when it really, 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 really matters and it's life or death. That's what the mature does. Come on, somebody give God a hand clap. I believe that we're called to be mature. And that's order. And I let Jesse talk to you about, uh, you ladies, about the, the submitting when those things happen. Because really we're called as Christians to learn to submit one to another in many ways. There's order and authority in the kingdom and even in the church. And, and for me, I'm in charge of this church. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the lead elder of the church. And I'll give an account for what happens here. But there's men in the room and there's other lead elders in my life. That, man, they, they call and they tell me I'm out of line here. I'll submit to them. But here's the thing about submission. It's never submission until you disagree. Does that make sense? It's never submission until you disagree. When you disagree, that's when the Christian practice of submission comes in. And it's tough and it's hard, but it's something that we're called to. We're supposed to submit ourselves to the will of God every day. Submission is a powerful thing. So listen, there's this order in the household. Now, I believe whenever we get our order right, we get our order lined out, it makes it hard for the devil to take advantage of us. One of the next things I see here is there's an extreme responsibility. Once Adam and Eve, they mess up, what do they do? They try, to, they try to pass the buck or the responsibility for their sin on somebody else. God comes to uh, Adam, and he says, Adam, did you eat of the tree in the center of the garden? And he says, yes. But he turns around immediately. He says, God, I ate of the tree in the center of the garden, but that woman, by the way, that you gave me, right, blames it on the woman and then ultimately blames it on God, isn't that just like humanity? That woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate of it. Then he turns around to the woman. The woman turns around and says, it was the devil. Turns to the devil. Everybody takes up the blame game. And I'm telling you, until we take extreme ownership for all of our actions in our family and in our marriage, we'll never have the God-honoring, Christ-centered marriage and family that we're called to have. You know, America's like this. The Democrats want to point at the Republicans and say it's all their fault. And the Republicans want to blame the Democrats and say it's all their fault. The people that gain weight with love handles point at the fast food franchises and say it's all their fault. The person that gets burned by the McDonald's cup sues them and wins and says it's all their fault. But how many of you know most of the problems we have in our life, it's not the other political party, it's not the fast food restaurant, it's not the devil, it's not the woman, and it's certainly not God. It falls on us in our household. Somebody say amen to that. And if we see it like that, God can start to heal us. But we gotta take ownership. Of our part in our marriage, our part in our family, our part in everyday life. And it's that extreme ownership that begins to change things in who we are. You know, a lot of people always want to say, you know, well, everything happens for a reason. I'll never forget, I was at a, I was at a function one night. There were a group of people that had gotten themselves in a whole lot of trouble. They'd broken some laws and they'd done some things they really shouldn't have done. There was a guy that was looking at, at, at big trouble over this situation.
Now I'm standing in the restroom and he walks into the restroom and uh, everybody knows he's probably looking at some time. And he walks into the restroom and he sees me. I'm the preacher, right? And we know each other. So people always feel like they got to say something spiritual to a preacher. All right, please don't try to, don't do that for my sake. All right, that's all I'm saying. So he comes up to me and he, he looks over at me and he says, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it sure does, you know. And uh, the reason is that you committed fraud. <laughs> and, and the reason's you. And I'm telling you, I don't have love handles because of the fast food restaurants. I have love handles because I supersized my fries. The only person that gave me love handles is me. Come on, somebody say amen to that. And so if we can look at our marriages, and I can say, hey, there's, there's places in my marriage that it's just my fault that it happened like that. And I'm sorry. And I think some of the strongest things we can learn in marriage and family is I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. All right? How many of y'all could say that out? Some of you can't. I see you like cringe whenever I said it. Come on. Somebody say this out loud. Say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Let's try it again so you can get used to it. Somebody say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. You know, that's really life past marriage. That's every relationship. If you meet people that cannot be wrong, cannot be sorry, and cannot own up, you're looking at people that will never go higher in life. But the moment we learn to, to own up and take ownership, I think God's got something he can work with. Here's the next wonderful thing I see in this text. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm out of time, so you can stand up on your feet, and I'll, I'll, close, I'll close with this. The next wonderful thing I, I see with this text is that after all this happens, all right, God starts to prophesy. God speaks a word that's going to alter the world. So he prophesies to the devil, and he puts the devil in his place. He says, you're going to go on your belly, you're going to eat dirt all the days of your life. How many are thankful that we're not called to eat dirt? It's the devil that's called to eat dirt. Come on, somebody. We're on the winning team at the end, not on the losing team. So he speaks to the devil. He says, you're going to eat dirt. Speaks to Eve, talks about her childbirth. Speaks to the man, talks about his labor and his work, his toil, his sweating. He tells him all that. Then afterwards, he brings them something to cover them, all right? He's going to cover them. They realize they're naked, and they're ashamed. Earlier in the text, they were naked and not ashamed. It's before the fall. I don't know, they must have been eating keto or something too, you know, because they, they, were, they were proud when they were naked. But afterwards, they were ashamed. So God comes and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going I'm to cover you. And most theologians agree that this is the first blood sacrifice that ever happens in the scripture. So where did they get the skins? He covers them in skins. He covers them in furs. Most people believe that God brought an animal in front of Adam and Eve, and he slaughtered those animals in front of Adam and Eve. And he showed them your sin, your transgression. It's not only broken the world you've lived in, but it causes death in the earth. And for your sins to be forgiven, something has to die. So God himself slaughters the animals and then takes the skins and puts them on Adam and Eve and covers them. Here's what I believe about Christian marriage. I believe that Christian marriage has an element where it covers us. 
our transgressions, our sins, our shortcomings, our iniquities. God finds a way to put us with a person that can help smooth out those rough places in our life. It's the function of marriage, and it makes you better. And instead of your, your bad spots being exposed, the bad things about you gets covered by the blood of Jesus, covered by the grace of God, covered by a covering that will make you whole, and you don't have to live in shame anymore. I'm looking at some of you guys. I know if you wouldn't be, if you weren't married to the woman you're married to, you would already be dead. Some of you guys ought to say amen and give God a hand clap for the goodness that he gave you in your life. I know that in my life. Like when God saved me, saved me, delivered me from addiction, got me filled with the Spirit, got my feet on a rock, and then he gave me a Jesse Gibson. Gave me the Holy Spirit, and he gave me another Holy Spirit by the name of Jesse that, that's covered me and helped me all these years. Now, I'm telling you, that's what we ought to be in our marriage to one another. Love one another, cover one another, help one another, lift one another, right? Be for one another. Stop fighting with each other. You are not each other's enemy. You are on the same team. Amen? We are a team in our marriage. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray that God would move that in all of our lives. We'd have a supernatural unity in our, in our households, that God would bless us. If you're standing by your spouse, just go ahead and grab a hold of their hand. Listen, if you're standing by a stranger, please don't grab their hand right now. It's going to be awkward, all right? Don't do that. If you're out there and uh, you're not married, but you want to be, you, you, maybe you want to lift a hand to heaven. Just lift a hand to heaven. All you single people, glance around. Now's your chance to see who's available right now. It's your moment, all right? You got a moment right now, all right? So uh, some of you are like, hey, right here I am, you know? All right, just kidding. Nobody's lifting their hand now. All right, uh, grab hold of their hand. I want to pray for our marriages today, all right? Pray God to bless us and help us. Come on. God's here. Spirit of God's here. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every family and every marriage under the sound of my voice right now. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them, that you would help us. You give us a supernatural order. Give us a, a, a real sense of responsibility. I pray, Father, that you would come now, that you would pour out your spirit in every household, that you would bless these people. I pray what God's put together, let no man, let no man put asunder. I pray, Lord, that you would catch for us the little foxes that spoil the vine. Now I pray that you would turn the water into wine in the Cana Feast of Galilee. I pray, Lord, that you'd save the best for last. Lord, show us where we need change. Show us where we need order. Show us where we need help. Lord, bless us supernaturally, I pray. Lead us and guide us. Now I pray for those that, that say, hey, I want a spouse. I pray that they would find the right people now. In the name of Jesus, at the right time. Lord, I pray that you would keep them from those who've come, sent from the evil one. I know whenever you want to bless us, you bring someone into our lives. Whenever the devil wants to curse us, he brings someone into our lives. I pray that those sin of the devil would be stopped and those brought by God would come right up into the forefront in your time and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Lord, I speak a blessing over every marriage and every household in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. And the church said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God one more hand clap in the house.